0: This is week number five in our study of the book of Daniel. And last week, you remember, we finished up chapter one and went on into chapter two. And at the end of chapter one is where the time of training, really the time of indoctrination of the young men who had come out of Israel was completed. They had been in training, really in brainwashing for three years. And then they graduated. And as they did so... Each one of them apparently was brought before Nebuchadnezzar for a time of interview. And so after interviewing all of them, Daniel writes that he and his three friends were um, better than all the rest. That they stood head and shoulders above all the rest, really. And that because of that, Nebuchadnezzar brought them into his personal service. They were his assistants. They were... To be his aides. And you remember Daniel wrote. Kind of looking on down the road. Not for that time right then. But he said when, he, when they gave him advice. It was ten times better than any of the other wise men in the land. And so these guys were exceptional. Nebuchadnezzar understood that. He recognized that. He selected them as his own. And then we begin chapter two. Where Nebuchadnezzar calls together all the wise men of Babylon. Because he's had a dream that is troubling him. He can't sleep. Um, He doesn't know what this dream means. And so he calls all the wise men together and he says, "Um, I have a firm command for you, meaning I'm not going to sway from this. I want you to tell me my dream and its interpretation. And so they say, oh, great king, live forever. Tell us your dream. And he's like, no, you didn't hear me. This is a firm command. You tell me my dream and then you tell me it's interpretation. And if you don't, then I'll tear you limb from limb and I'll make your houses rubbish. So he's going to not only kill them, he's going to kill their families and tear their houses down. And so they say, you know, no one could could do this. No one but the gods could do this. And the gods don't dwell among mortal men and we're certainly not gods So you've asked the impossible. And so Nebuchadnezzar stays firm to his word and he says, um, he gives the order for all of them to be killed. And so that's kind of where we left it last week. Nebuchadnezzar is uh, outraged, he's furious and he sent out his guards to go and collect all the wise men together so they can kill them all. And then apparently they would go in then and, and tear their houses down and kill their families also. And so that's the situation where we left it last week. So we'll pick up this week and begin reading in verse 13. We left off in verse 12 last week of Daniel chapter 2. So beginning in Daniel chapter 2 verse 13, there the scripture reads. So the decree went forth that the wise men should be slain. And they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Then Daniel replied with discretion and discernment to Arioch, the captain of the king's bodyguard, who had gone forth to slay the wise men of Babylon. He said to Arioch, The king's commander, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. So Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and informed his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, about the matter, so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel said, "'Let the name of God be blessed for ever and ever, "'for wisdom and power belong to him. "'It is he who changes the times and the epochs. "'He removes kings and establishes kings. "'He gives wisdom to wise men "'and knowledge to the men of understanding. "'It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. "'He knows what is in the darkness, "'and the light dwells with him.'" To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and power. Even now you have made known to me what we requested of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. So here we have the, the ongoing story and um, the significance of Daniel and his ability to interpret dreams. And you'll remember last week we, we set the time frame of this as what is known as the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar. And we talked about that that's really not his second year but his third year because the first year for a king in Babylon was known as the, as the year of accession. And then the second year would be known as the first year and the third year would be known as the second year and so on. And so this is three years after Nebuchadnezzar becomes king. We talked about the fact that Nebuchadnezzar was not king when Jerusalem came under siege of the Babylonians the the first time, that he was actually the commander of the army and his father was the king. And shortly thereafter, within really um, two months, his father died and and Nebuchadnezzar became king. And now here we are at the third year, really what the scripture says is the second year of King Nebuchadnezzar so all that to say that this three-year training period that Daniel and the other youths from Jer- uh, Jerusalem were to undergo had just completed. It has to be very close in time for this to be Nebuchadnezzar's third year and for Daniel and his friends no longer to be in training. And so, But it hasn't been so long that Daniel and his friends had given the king a lot of advice that he could compare to everybody else. Now when he interviewed them, He interviewed all the youths who had been trained and they were definitely better than all those guys. But that doesn't mean they were better than all the wise men in the land at this point because this is very shortly after they graduated. Matter of fact, so shortly after that they're not in the crowd that's called together to interpret or to tell the king this dream and interpret it. They're not there. And that's why in verse 13 it says that they went out to get all the wise men. That would have been not the guys who have been called together, but all those who had just graduated from school, go out to get all of them and bring them together with these wise men, apparently to kill them all at one time, not to kill them where they stand, not to kill them wherever you find them. Because you notice that um, Ariok does not kill Daniel um, when he finds him. So apparently they were, they were going to bring them all together and then kill them. So, don't know that for sure, but it certainly seems like it plays out that way. Now, in verse 13, where we pick up today, um, this decree went forth that all the wise men, including those young guys, should be killed. Now, what, what's ridiculous about this situation? I mean, th- this, this is an absurd thing that's going on. Why? <coughs>
1: because one guy couldn't figure out uh, what
0: the dream was. Right. The, the, since they couldn't tell Nebuchadnezzar what his dream is, which would be an impossible thing, right? I mean, if I said I dreamed last night, tell me my dream. You'd go, that's, that's craziness. You tell me your dream, you know, because there's no way you could know what I dreamed, right? And so he's asked them the impossible, but now he's going to kill them because they can't do the impossible. So this is an absurd thing, but what it shows you is that Nebuchadnezzar is absolutely in control of human affairs, right? I mean, he he is the king of the most powerful country on the planet at this time. And whatever he wants to do, he can do. Whatever he says, the people will do. So he's in absolute dominating control of everything that is happening on the planet except for he doesn't know what his dream means. Mm-hmm.
2: My impression of this, um, it would, like, um, since he's been given this vision and he knows that he needs to have it interpreted, he's had this dream, it, maybe it was also given to him through his thoughts, through God, because God is the one who is you know, orchestrating all this, right. that there is someone who can do this, right, who can do the impossible, and that's who he's supposed to find.
0: Well, and John David mentioned this last week. This, this dream would have been understood to be different by Nebuchadnezzar than everything else he'd ever dreamed, everything else he'd ever seen, that, that because it was from God, that would have been understood by Nebuchadnezzar. Not by anybody else. Not by anybody else. But Nebuchadnezzar knew this dream was significant and that it had to be interpreted. Absolutely. Absolutely and that, that and that's why he would stand before the people and say I'm not going to tell you what this dream means because then you'll just, you'll just make stuff up but if you can tell me what the dream is then I'll be sure that your interpretation is right because he he knew that this was unique and special and needed to be interpreted good Eric
1: to me Nebuchadnezzar is cleaning house here he's, got, got no
0: <laughs> he's going to clean house for sure
1: he had, obviously, he has no further use of these "quote unquote" wise men. Right. And uh, he, by asking them to do the impossible, which he knows darn well they can't, uh, he's uh, he, he's going to get rid of all of them in well one fell swoop.
0: Uh, yeah, and he, but he's got this whole host of people who've just been trained for three years right. that he's never asked this kind of question of before. So um, we don't know all the motives. But I do believe that Nebuchadnezzar knew this was significant, and knew it was different than anything else he had ever seen or heard or in, and been taught, even by the Chaldeans. That this was this was unique and different, and that would, that he understood. And so, this is, if you think about this, this vision is not only unique, it's very, very significant. And God had planned for Daniel to be able to write this so that you and I sitting here now and the people through the ages from the time when Daniel wrote it would understand what was going to unfold in human history. I mean, this is God using an evil king to reveal the God's plan for mankind from that time forward. This is what is going on here. So I think Nebuchadnezzar would have understood that there was significance to this. So his request is still absurd. It's still outrageous. And the fact that he's going to kill people because they can't do it is even more outrageous. But he is in control. Nobody else, just him.
3: For me, it helps me to get a little bit better grasp of the... um the sovereignty of the kings, because, you know... Oh, of
0: ...representative
3: government, we really lose sight of what sovereign power was really like. And so when we say sovereign God, we lose sight of what that really means. And this is, you know, an earthly king with this much power.
0: Right. And if you just go back, just go back three or four hundred years, that's the way the world was ruled. I mean, it hasn't been this democracy and the republic and, you know, all, all that kind of rule has not existed for a long time. Matter of fact, you can even start in the early 1900s and most countries still weren't ruled by those kind of principles. They were still ruled by czars and kings and people with absolute authority could do whatever they want to. And there's still countries today that are ruled that way. It's just that we're not. And so I do think our perspective of what's going on here, uh, we have a hard time to grasp it because of the time and the lands in which we live. Go ahead, Chris.
4: Desert, that here he's had this this troubling dream that's a vision from the Lord that's the real thing, Right. a real encounter with the God of the universe. And so when he sees the fraud that is their false religion, their I mean that all these wise men and their sorcerers and magicians and they claim to have the access to the gods and all of these things, that when he sees the the reality that these guys really they don't even know what the, this is this is not real. I think that's what. I mean, in my opinion, I think that's what's making him angry.
0: Yeah, it's what's I mean, outraging. Is the, wait a
4: second, you guys are a bunch of frauds. You're a bunch of liars. <laughs> and he's like seeing it for the first time, and, it, you know, and he's angry, maybe rightly so.
0: Yeah. I mean, these guys are frauds, right? I mean, we all yeah. would recognize that. They've made up interpretations to dreams in the past, apparently. Go ahead, Anna. Uh, the other thing with
2: timing. Here, Nebuchadnezzar just inherited the kingdom from his father.
0: Yeah, three years ago
2: still experiencing the changing of the guard.
0: Yeah. And all
2: these guys were fellows that I'm assuming came up through the ranks under his father's reign. Yeah. And had done all the inner court intrigues and all that other stuff that goes on in the background behind this sovereign
0: Right. Well, and not only that, he have not known that. and even his father had only recently conquered the Assyrians and the Egyptians. So it's not, not like these guys have been in, in world power and been the dominant ones for a long time. I mean, the Assyrians um, had been in power for over, you know, a couple hundred years. And then they had just beaten the Assyrians and then pushed on and beaten the Egyptian pharaoh within the last 10 years. So it's not like these guys have been dominant for a long time, even his father and even Nebuchadnezzar. And so all of these guys, these Chaldeans, the magicians, the sorcerers, they would have been in those positions even when the Assyrians were in control. They would have been the, the wise men of Chaldea. And so they, they've been in this kind of position for a long time. Not only Nebuchadnezzar inherited them, but his father inherited them. That was the other
2: point I was going to make. They, these wise men from these other countries bring like wisdom about science and arts and music and all that sort of thing. But the real <coughs> value they bring is knowledge of those countries he'd already conquered. He wants to have them remain conquered.
0: Absolutely. And, and there's
2: no way he'd know that unless he had insider information so
0: to speak well you can see that even with his capture of the uh, the siege of Jerusalem that he brings all the significant people so that they'll be part of his kingdom so they'll keep them under control back in their homeland which he by the way left desolate okay let's keep walking through this story now it's obvious in verse 14 that Arioch finds Daniel right now you notice he was after both Daniel and his friends but apparently, he only found Daniel. Now, the reason I believe they were going to bring them all together to kill him is because Arioch doesn't kill Daniel on the spot. Now, Arioch is described as who? The captain. <coughs> the captain of the guard of the king. So, what would you? What would be your impression of what this guy looked like? God, this this is this is you know. How old is Daniel? Well, now we're three years later, so, you know, maybe 16, 17. But here you got the captain of the guards, the, you know, the strongest, the bravest, the probably the guy who's killed more people than anybody else. This is the leader of the bad guys. And he's standing there in front of Daniel and he's come to kill Daniel. That's why he's there. And so, you know, it's interesting. What does Daniel say to him? Well, he replies with discretion and discernment or some of your others would say with prudence, right? But he, what does he say to him? Yeah, it's like, big boy, what's the hurry, right? I mean, you're like, come on, that's not what he did. He, he replied with discretion and discernment. You remember back when, um, when, they were, when he first heard of what his diet was going to be, what did he do? Remember back in verse 5 that the the king appointed for them to eat uh, a daily ration of the king's food. Then down in verse 8, Daniel, I'm in chapter 1, but Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself. So he's like, I'm not going to eat that. Didn't say it to anybody else, but he said it to himself. He was determined he wasn't going to eat it. So when uh, the the, uh, head of the guard, the commander of the officials, Um, gave him a new name, and then Daniel um, basically requested, sir, please, uh, can I have something else other than this? Again, with humility and with uh, right um, words, speaking to him, and he says, you know, I would, but the king will have my head if I do, so I can't do that. And so what does Daniel do? Well, he doesn't give up hope, right? Once that guy appoints another guy over him, then he goes to that guy. And he says, give me just 10 days. So again, you know, humility, um, not pressing, not pitching a fit, not saying I'm not going to eat this food because it'll defile me, simply requesting that he not be made to eat it. Can I, Can we try something else and we just do it for 10 days so I won't be terribly haggard, maybe just a little bit haggard. And so again, with humility, that's what he does with Ariok. You know, we're not sure, I mean, You could, you could, why was it that they listened to Daniel and were granted him 10 days to have nothing but vegetables and water? Why did that happen? Yeah, and you can see that down in verse 9 of chapter 1, right? Now, God granted Daniel favor and compassion. All right, so why is it when Ariot goes and grabs Daniel to kill him, they have this conversation about why are we in such a big hurry? what would you guess? That God's again granting Daniel favor that he doesn't give to everybody else. Now, you keep following this story and you see that even more because now Daniel is shrewd, okay? Don't get me wrong. And he's wise and he's clever, but he's not trying to trick anybody. It's just his approach is totally different than any of the other wise men. Because you notice when you get to the next verse, in verse 15... He said to Arioch, the king's commander, "For what reason is the decree so urgent?" Then Arioch tells him. He he explains the whole thing to him. But then the next, very next verse. So Daniel went in and requested of the king. How did he get there? How did Daniel get from where Arioch had him to the to the to the court of the king? Arioch took him there, right? For what reason? No, to kill him. He took him there so they could kill him all in front of the king. That was why he was willing to take him. Now, somewhere along the way, Daniel very cleverly said, let me go in and talk to the king. Now, go ahead, Andrew.
5: I know that there's the sovereignty of God working. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, there's no reason
0: he ended up grazing, right? He's right. the very work of God, as vivid as anybody could. Right. And he, like Pharaoh, he just bucked against it in
5: every way. But, right amazing about daniel at the literal level in the case of the diet what kind of condition did daniel end up with
0: yeah why would he be fatter and better
5: he actually accomplished more of what nebuchadnezzar was trying to accomplish right the way that he was discerning of and he's doing the same thing here because all these guys are about to get killed right nobody you can imagine
0: the advice that this (laughs) manly man got from these wise men right I mean, but he found a better
5: way to satisfy Nebuchadnezzar.
6: Um, But takes no credit for it, and that's the big contrast.
0: Ultimately, right? (coughs) Well, and, and not only that, I mean, Daniel goes in to the king, right? Now, what's true about Daniel and this king? What just happened? What's that? Daniel
7: was favored by the king. Right.
0: So, and that wasn't very long ago. He, the king, would recognize him. Right. This is the guy with his three friends who was better than everybody else, and he had just selected him to be his own personal assistant. So he knew Daniel. It's not like he's oh, this is a stranger and this who's this young kid coming in to talk to me, and so they knew each other. Go ahead. Suspected Ariok
6: had a great respect for
2: Daniel, knowing these. Uh,
0: yeah apparently you know I, I would have thought that when uh, Nebuchadnezzar was interviewing people that the captain of the guard would have been right there with him and would have and, and he and the Nebuchadnezzar would have talked. so I don't think that it's that Ariad didn't know Daniel either, and so you know, do you give him credit for saying, "Hey, this is a really wise guy, and we need to let him talk to the king? I really think it's God orchestrating. But nevertheless, he's working through these men. Absolutely, go ahead, Jerry.
1: What keeps ringing in my mind is the, the New Testament mandate to us: the one, la, the last qualification for an elder in the church in verse seven of first, first Timothy three is that they have a good reputation with those outside the church. Right. In First Peter, Peter says, "Grant honor to all men." Mm-hmm.
0: Yep. Honor of their position, even though
1: theologically he wasn't even beginning to be in the. Camp. And God obviously uses that.
0: Yeah, Daniel is, is unique in the way that he talks to the king and to everybody else who's in charge of him. You don't see any pushback. You don't see any um, argument. All you see is request and please and respect and yielding to their authority. I mean, think about it. Daniel had been in training by these guys for three years. He's no different than anybody else. He flustered panic either. No. It's, yeah, it's like, what's so urgent? You know, you're like, really? <laughs>
5: That's what I love about this, you start to see it unfold right here with Daniel. I mean, if you peel it back, Daniel's trust that his great God would provide him a way through this because it also involves the preservation of God's very own people and his right. beautiful just so much
0: richness well, look at I mean that comes across crystal clear in verse 16 because look at what Daniel says to, uh, or what Daniel writes about what he said so Daniel went in and requested of the king that he would give him time in order that he might declare the interpretation to the king what's different about that and what all the other wise men said He's going to be able to do it. yeah It's not like, oh, this is impossible, only gods could do that. No, this is a stupid thing for you to ask us. No. He says, give me a little bit of time, and I'll declare the interpretation. Now, what does that tell you about Daniel? He is absolutely, desperately dependent and believes God will help him without any question. Now, this is one of the reasons why I think that prior to this time, during their training time, maybe even before that, Daniel had already interpreted some dreams, had already seen, you know, someone saw a vision and Daniel interpreted it because it's not like he questions here, is it possible for God to do this? And, you know, the request to him, the king would have said, you tell me my dream and then tell me what it means. It would have been no different than the rest of the guys. But the king, now instead of being furious with Daniel, like he was with everybody else, grants him some time. And it's like, what? Why? Why would he? Because Daniel's approach is different. Daniel doesn't say this is impossible. He's confident that if God wants him to live, that God will give him the dream and the interpretation. Because that's the only way it's going to happen. So I think prior to this time, up to this time, I mean, this is not new to Daniel.
6: Chapter 1, 17 and 18 kind
0: of says that. But kind of, but you know, he's looking forward in when he's writing in that chapter. Right. Yeah, I agree
6: with you. Yeah. Says was even
0: given. Yeah, and this is, you know, when he writes that, hey, um, our, you know, the advice of these four guys was ten times better. He's not talking about something that's already happened. He's kind of looking through the years. But these guys are head and shoulders, and Daniel's approach is different. He doesn't say, king, this is impossible. He says, king, give me a little bit of time, and I'll bring you the interpretation. No, this is what Nebuchadnezzar wanted somebody else to say. If anybody would have said this, he would have granted them a little bit of time. But they didn't. They all pushed back against him. Daniel, wiser, more clever, shrewd, wants a little bit of time. Now, why does he want some time? Pray. Yeah. Yeah, to go and pray, right?
5: It's a beautiful picture of sanctification.
0: Yeah, and, and, and this is God working in the heart and mind of Daniel. And he will say that in Bright colors here in just a few minutes. Okay. Um,
2: also, probably, is Nebuchadnezzar can see that it's not Daniel, and when they, you know, it takes the credit, it takes the focus off of Daniel, and so it's going away. And um, by that, everyone needs <coughs> to witness the fact that it's not Daniel. Mm-hmm.
0: And Nebuchadnezzar understands that to a dec- to a degree. But what did he say? Um, if you don't give me my dream and in its interpretation, then I'm going to I'm going to break your arms and legs off and I'm going to decimate your house, right? But if you do, if you are able to do this, then what? Riches, honor. And he does do that to Daniel later. So yet to a degree, but Daniel definitely takes the focus off of himself. I mean, he absolutely, remember we saw that last week where he says, not because of anything within me. Am I able to give you this dream? Go ahead.
4: Um, it's always good. <laughs> it says that um, Arioch sought out Daniel and his companions.
0: Right. Is that Just
4: saying. Well, that's just specifically because we're talking about Daniel. Or did was there a few enough of them that Arioch accomplished gathering all of these guys by himself?
0: Well, maybe Arioch went to get Daniel and his friends because those. Those are the guys who are the king's personal aides, and he, so was Ariok. Okay. And, you know, uh, my, my thought about this is there have been other guys who had gone through all that training and also and had been given positions, just not as high in the kingdom as these four had been given. And so there were other guards going out to get them. Well,
4: that's what I wanted to know. Are we talking a half dozen or, you know, a couple hundred
0: of these? Well, assistants. you know, okay. w- certainly when they were taken into captivity, the impression is is they took lots of people, they took most people of nobility, is the way that he writes it. So there have been, you know, uh, all the people who were in charge in Jerusalem, all their children would have been whored off. So I don't think there's only a dozen of them. I think there's, you know, a good number of them. Mm-hmm. Um,
2: um, in, in chapter two and. In- Verse 2, it says, The king's giving the command to the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. Mm -hmm. And I'm just kind of wondering, why would David and his friends be included in any of those groups?
0: They're not included. I mean, they're not there. Right. I mean,
2: why would, in other words, these are the people who are, you know, purporting to be the wise men and do all these kind of sorcery what was Daniel and his friends were they trained to be a magician or an astrologer or
0: well what we know is they were trained in the literature right in the language so they were taught to speak Aramaic and they were trained all of the astronomy all of the science all of the um, you know the different religions the god many gods they had that would have been in their literature Everything that the they held to in Babylon, which was mostly influenced by the Chaldeans, because that's where they lived, they lived. That was the land that we're talking about. All of that science, astrology, sorcery, all of that would have been included in their indoctrination into the Babylonian ways of doing things. So, so
3: would that have a, so would that have qualified them to they,
0: be? One of yeah, those the, yeah, they were. They were qualified. They would. You know, later on, he'll group them all together and say the wise men, is the way Daniel will write about them. That these are the wise men and these are the most knowledgeable people in the land. And so, yeah, they would have been included, but they had just graduated. So these are the young kids on the block. They haven't had a chance to mix with these guys. They just got through. Good. And in those time periods, there would not have been a distinction between. Science so no, and sorcery, and sorcery or sorcery no. And magic. Yeah it's all mixed together and and the belief in multiple gods of the heaven you know that's the way they would have thought about it all of that would have been mixed in here. There's no difference between true science and sorcery. Go ahead. ahead.
7: Couldn't we make the assumption though since Daniel had said in his mind that he was not going to eat the food that they wouldn't participate in the divination and the sorcery because that was against Levitical law as well.
0: Well participate or be trained in. It's a difference, right? To be exposed to? Absolutely. Absolutely. They went through the, I mean, nowhere does Daniel make a distinction between his training and everybody else's other than in the diet which would have defiled him personally. To hear stuff, you know, and this is where you have to be careful, right? To hear bad teaching, to hear it preached and all of that but not to receive it, nothing wrong with that, right? That's just being informed about what other people think. But to take it as your own, that's a whole different matter. Good. Good. I don't know how old he was. Somebody else might.
7: But I've, I've got Not old, that, that's for sure. I've got a feeling that Daniel and his friends are probably closer in age to Nebuchadnezzar than most of these other wise men. That probably, probably. And so that could also be something else that God used to make this connection between the king and yeah,
0: what, Whatever it is... God is orchestrating what's happening, whether it be because He liked him personally. You know, he's a handsome young guy. That's the only reason he got picked in the first place. And he's pretty smart, and you know, he speaks well. There's a lot of things to like about Daniel. Good.
4: You said earlier that you felt like the Daniel felt confident that God would uh, honor his request, but I get the impression in verse 18 that. That he didn't necessarily feel that way because it says so they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery. So that Daniel and his friends, I think they were desperately calling out to the Lord saying, You know, Lord, you've got to do something.
0: Well, Please. yeah, I think what they are is the same thing that we'll see later about the three guys when they go into the fire. Is um, if God wants to preserve us, he will. And if he wants us to perish, then so we will. And so there, it's that kind of confidence. Not that God's going to answer them, but if they're going to get out of this, God must answer them. Not that he necessarily will, but he, he could. He is able. Go ahead. I would say that,
6: especially in ancient Near East, the way of an inferior approaching um, you know, their lord or master, this is exactly how they always present it. As it's if they, would, if they would or if they will. It's always in the, that modal sense of whatever they, whatever they desire will be the outcome. So when we approach, it's whatever God desires.
0: Right. Right. So, Han.
6: David, uh, isn't this isn't
5: this also a good place? And I know you've talked through this to mark in our minds and watch Nebuchadnezzar through this entire book. Because what you learn very quickly is this guy is making dramatic snap
0: right all the time.
5: He is on a roller coaster. Yeah. That puts him in a grazing field. (laughs) But again, I mean, he's on a roller coaster all the way to the end of it. And I think about. Yeah. in the, the back room that was going on with Pilate where they have this public persona that they're trying to keep and then this private conscience that is ripping them apart yeah. and the two were totally incongruent which causes them to be lunatics
0: yeah. right? and, all and all through things
5: that are d- destructive and, themselves.
0: and you know and Reck- Nebuchadnezzar really wants to know what this dream means mm-hmm. if there's any possibility someone can do it he's going to grab hold to it
6: I think it seems that from, from the the point where Daniel and his friends refuse the food, something impossible has to happen. And God seems to be setting up a contrast here. He's setting up a contrast with the dream. Mm -hmm. As far as the heavens are above the earth, so are his ways above man's ways. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, there is a purpose here. This is not just coincidental. Go ahead.
1: Verse 120 kind of summarizes where they stood in the kingdom.
0: Yeah, yeah. These guys are... Uh, above everybody else and but I don't think yet I think that comes later because they've just graduated they haven't had an opportunity to give much advice but in Daniel's writing 70 years later 60 years no 70 years later looking back at what was true back then so yes as they gave him advice as their advice was better I mean Daniel's is obviously it's not 10 times better it's infinitely better than anybody else here, right? So, but that's that's a general characterization through the years that these guys were were that much better. All right, so keep moving. All right, so um, now Daniel's request not only delays his execution, but it delays the execution of all the other wise men because you notice over in verse forty-eight, it it implies that nobody got killed. Because over in verse 48, it says, Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief pre- prefect over the wise men of Babylon. So they didn't kill them all. They don't, no, nobody gets killed here. So Daniel is saving not only his own hide, but I want you to notice something as we get down here to where Chris was looking at. Then Daniel, verse 17, went to his house and he informed his friends, right? But he's not just giving them information. He has a purpose. And that's given in verse 18. He says, so that they might request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Now, what strikes you about that? Who are they praying for? Themselves. Themselves. They still expect all the other guys to get killed. Notice that's, what, that's exactly what it says right now. I don't want to make a big deal about this. But these guys don't go in and request mercy from God for the sake of anybody else other than the four of themselves. Why would that be? Why would that be? I
4: don't think they would have any expectation that God would save the pagan nations. because I mean, they're Right.
0: And all their other friends, all the young boys who got taken into captivity with them, just submitted to the Babylonians, ate the bad food, defiled themselves, did everything the Babylonians wanted them to do. Only Daniel and these three guys are unique and different. All the other guys are just swept up in it. Continue to worship the true God. Yeah, these four continue to worship the true God. And we'll see that in the prayer of Daniel. It's crystal clear. So these guys are uniquely different. They go in and they pray that God would show them not only the interpretation, but the actual dream itself, the, whether it was a vision or a daydream or whatever it was. They request that God would give it to them. And then Daniel just very straightforwardly writes in verse 19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So they're praying probably all night long. And somewhere during that praying all night long, God shows Daniel the vision and then tells him what the interpretation is. Doesn't give us any details of that. He just says that God gave him the understanding of what the vision was. And so God reveals it. Only God could do that. And then this prayer of Daniel is like over the top. Okay, and this is where we pulled the theme of Daniel from on, uh, when we were looking at that on our second week of, of Daniel. And we'll go through that again. Th- this prayer, I mean, this, if, if you comprehend what Daniel is saying here, you'll understand the theology of Daniel. His theology, his personal theology is all over this prayer. So let's walk through it. Daniel said, let the, God, let the name of God be blessed forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. So what, what's Daniel's understanding at this point? What is he saying in this prayer? I mean, he, God has shown him a vision, right? Whether he had done it previously or not, I suspect he had. But at least at this point, Daniel's not only understands what the vision is, he saw the same thing that Nebuchadnezzar saw. Okay, Only God could do that. So he stops to bless the name of the Lord, and this first verse here that we have, what does it reveal to you about Daniel? <coughs> he
5: knew God was totally in control of everything, every
0: little right, and Andy, I agree with you that God's in total Why would you say that?
5: <laughs> well, he says
3: that the wisdom comes not from himself, but completely from God. That God is—he understands that it where it's coming from.
0: So here I am. I'm Daniel, and I've seen this vision, and I know what it means. And so I pray to God, and I say, "All wisdom is from Him." So what am I saying? Why, why is it that I have seen this vision and I understand it? Because God wanted me to. And if he didn't want me to, I wouldn't see it. It's that simple. Nothing from within me has caused this to happen. It's not because I was so obedient and didn't eat the food for three years. It's not because I'm so clever and I got Ariok not to kill me. It's not because I went into the king and was pleasing to his ears to say that I would be able to interpret the dream. It's none of that. That's not Daniel's perspective at all, even though all of that is true. The reason all of that's true is because Daniel is so humble before his Lord, so understanding that if God didn't want to give me this, he wouldn't have to. But because he wanted to, I understand. I've seen the vision. Go ahead. Right.
1: judgment on what is to come. Yeah. And you have the earthly king saying, If you don't tell me
0: this is the judgment, I'm going to turn your houses into rubble. Yeah. You see the contrast there. Here you have
1: God completely leaving no trace of the coming the kingdoms. And you have a king who says, I'm gonna leave rubble. Right. And I think when Daniel saw what God had revealed to King Nebuchadnezzar, he just it re- excuse me, reinforced just the uh, the total power and majesty of who God is, and he recognized that he was the, the source of the king's power, the king's power by
6: comparison was the
0: Yeah, and he and he will say that in, in the next verse, he'll say exactly that. Go ahead.
6: The ten lepers that Jesus healed, only one <coughs> back.
0: Yeah, and they honored him
6: and understood what had really happened. Right. Daniel's not like I got the vision. Oh, great! Thanks, God. Let's go to the king. Yeah, right. No, not at all. It, it was total relational honor and submission, recognizing that even the fact that he was—we get gifts, and our first response is, "What am I going to do with it?" Yeah. <laughs> God, you own this.
0: Yeah. You want me to do yeah. Yeah. It's um, Daniel is is um, so mature in his faith in God and his trust of the Lord and it's revealed I mean it's all over this prayer look at his next statement is what you were just talking about in verse 21 it is he who changes the time and the epochs some of yours will say seasons right this is a word that refers to um, appointed times not things that are just you know uh, the fall and the spring and all that, all those, those are appointed, right? Because of the order of the, of the universe and the way our planet tilts and all of those, those things are, are definitely ordered. But this is talking about even more significant things than that. Things that in the sovereignty of God have been appointed to happen will happen. And he's the one, if, think about it. If he can change them or set them, then what's true about him? What's true about the one who can set appointed times or change them if he wants to? He's in, He's in total, absolute control. And that's what Daniel's saying, that you're, you're not only to be blessed um, because you give wisdom and power and those belong to you, but you're to be blessed because everything belongs to you and you can do whatever you will please, and you do. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he is, he is yielding to the sovereignty of God here and saying it is God who sets the appointed times and the things that happen, happen because he's appointed them to do so. And so this is it's not personal yet, but it's getting ready to be personal. This is like the order of everything is under God's orchestration. And he can can appoint times to do whatever he well pleases. And he does. So Daniel is yielding to the sovereignty of God and the control of God over what's going on here. So you get his big picture. And then he gets specific. He says it is God who establishes kings. Well, he says first that removes kings and establishes kings. So his thought, when he's thinking about, oh, this is Nebuchadnezzar's prayer um, vision, God gave it to me so I could explain it to Nebuchadnezzar, but his thought about Nebuchadnezzar is what? Why is it? I mean, think about where Daniel's at, okay? Drug out of your homeland, your homeland left desolate, brought in to be indoctrinated and brainwashed for three years, selected by Nebuchadnezzar to be his own personal assistant and then a couple of days later threatened to be killed by the same guy who just selected you. I mean, what's going on here? But Daniel, instead of saying, what's going on here, what does he say? It's God who appointed Nebuchadnezzar to be in charge of my life at this personal time. It's God who's orchestrating this this is not Nebuchadnezzar doing evil against me. This is God orchestrating what he wants to happen in my life. I doubt I would have those same thoughts. I doubt that would even cross my mind. Yeah, I mean, this, this, Daniel is so submissive to what God wants to do, it startles me. I mean, he understands so well that none of this would be happening. This is why he could go to Nebuchadnezzar and say, give me a little time and I'll tell you your dream." Because if God wants me to, he will give it to me. If he doesn't want me to, that's fine too. You'll just cut me in half. And that'd be okay. Well, I actually tear my arms and legs off, right? This is Daniel's doctrine of the sovereignty of God, not only in the heavens and in establishing all that there is, but in the affairs of men. You know, this flies in the face of deism. define deism for me yeah God created it absolutely he even wound it up and set it in motion established it but then he took his hands off and he's no longer involved in the affairs of men that's deism not so popular today but still has a significant holding but extremely popular when our country was founded you know you can make a strong argument that Um, George Washington that Benjamin Franklin that Thomas Paine that John Adams and others all were deists they believed that God set everything in motion and created all that there is but was not involved in the affairs of men I dare say George Washington would not have won if God had not been involved in the affairs of men but he didn't believe that that's the way the story is told today right Oh, he knew that and believed that. No, no. He is a deist. He did not believe that. And most of the founding fathers were deists because that was the, the doctrine that was not only taught but held to by most of the pulpits in those days. So this flies in. Why, does this, why do I say this flies in the face of that? Why would I say that? yeah this shows that if there's a king or if there's a government or if there's a ruler or a dictator God established that set them in that position and if he wanted to he could wipe them out of it so Daniel's thought is Nebuchadnezzar is only in that position because God established him to be so the only reason he could siege Jerusalem is because God ordained that it would happen that's Daniel's perspective that's what he's saying here yeah
2: what I just keep going back to is that he was 11 to 13 when he was taken away. Yeah. So he was that grounded in theology and
3: mm-hmm. his devotion to God
0: between 11 and 13. Yeah. I just, that, I just can't get over that. Yeah. I mean, and, and, and that is what carried him through yeah. these next years and I'm sitting there going to... Yeah, here's this little punk that says, I'm not going <laughs> to eat that food. <laughs> right? Well, right? That is I just
2: beyond comprehension.
0: That yeah, is, I mean, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is a different culture, but still. But, but still. You know, he was in diapers just a couple of years ago. I mean, go ahead. Young. All of his life. Right. And one of the things he's been
1: exposed to is the fact that whether he verbalized it or not, Psalm 91, 7, says, A thousand may fall in front of me and 10,000 with my right hand, but it won't touch me. I'll watch it happen to all the others apart from as it's in accordance with God's will.
0: Right. Yeah, he is grounded. I mean... You know, and and as we said, when he talks about Jeremiah later, when he's reading the book of Jeremiah, he he heard Jeremiah preach that Jerusalem was going to fall if they didn't turn to God. And so he saw it happen, the fulfillment of the prophecy of Jeremiah. (laughs) Different culture, different culture. Yeah, and we think about what we did at 11, right? We need to walk out of here
1: this morning. I believe in the confidence that the same God, through his holy word, gave that young man that kind of faith. Yeah. We have more of the truth than he
0: has. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they, it was all for our edification. I mean, all that happened then. Yeah, and, and God hasn't changed. So why don't you see visions? All right, yeah. Go ahead. You want to say something? Yeah. I was going to say, you know, when the brain isn't supposed to be fully developed until you're 25.
4: I think if we were right, if we, number one, taught scripture early on, like obviously Daniel got taught, and then have the expectation that we are to be followers of Christ, that we are to be mm-hmm. teaching our children very early on, just weren't, weren't guys like running ships at 12 years old? I mean,
0: yeah, yeah, it's a different culture for sure. But I mean, they, they were also taught at an earlier age. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. And they didn't have to go through 12 years of indoctrination like we do, right? Go <laughs> well, How
6: significant it is, but you know, when we look at heroes in the Bible, as we see it, or people that God used, we usually get their faults and their failures.
1: But you know, it appears with Daniel, there's nothing negative.
0: Of course, this, this is Daniel writing his own story, right? <laughs> 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 I, mean, so, I mean, just. just um, not saying anything, you know, inspired by the Spirit, but he is writing his own story.
4: But most of are his
0: own story. No, it's not. Go ahead. One of
2: the things that, and we didn't get down to the bottom first story,
0: uh, we will. wisdom mm-hmm. to the wise. Right. And knowledge to those who
2: have understanding. Well, the converse of that is, in my thoughts, you can have someone who is literally wise, but doesn't have wisdom.
0: Right. And
2: if he does have wisdom, it's... God gave it
0: to him. Yeah, this is like knowledge and wisdom, right? right. Knowledge is wisdom in action. Sure. Other way around. Wisdom is knowledge in action. Yeah. You know, but... And, and Daniel... So, now here's Daniel, whose advice will ultimately be ten times better than anybody else, who was head and shoulders above everybody else that Nebuchadnezzar interviewed, along with his three friends. But his thought about that is what? It's God... Oh. Who gives knowledge and wisdom? This is nothing. I mean, he obviously he studied hard. Would have had to have to excel and, and do well. But that's not where the where it came from. Didn't come from his great effort. Although he, I'm sure he worked hard. It came from God. It's always true. It's not our perspective at all. Right, bootstrap mentality. If I work hard and I do well and I and I strive, then I'll do good. Yet you might, but only by the blessing of God. And we don't we don't think that way.
5: It's amazing when we run to our Lord. Right, He was growing in wisdom and stature.
0: Yeah, I think you see Daniel at
5: fifteen or at eleven being brought into this captivity. We'd mentioned sanctification earlier, but this this young man is being sanctified in a mighty way. Because this message is somewhat obscure, mm-hmm. the next message is not going to be very pleasing.
0: For no. Well, at first it is. Yeah. And then it turns uh, kind of no, bad. Great, yeah, <laughs> Chris.
4: Um, I think one thing we need to be careful of is that when we're talking about Daniel here, he recognizes something that I don't think we're necessarily recognizing. Because I, I'm hearing people saying, you know, if we ground these kids in the Word, that they can do these great things and everything.
0: Maybe. But
4: I think the only reason that Daniel is in the place that he is in, and is doing the things that he's doing, was not because. I mean, yes, he. What God used the fact that he was grounded in the Word or whatever, but God is doing a supernatural thing here. Sure. Like,
0: for Daniel. Sure. And
4: that Daniel recognizes this—that it's not because of anything that he's done, or that because he's smarter, because he's wiser, because he's recognized that the only reason he has any wisdom whatsoever is because God has given
0: it to him.
3: Mm-hmm. Or because his parents raised him the right way. <laughs> Go ahead. No, I mean, he was
0: recognized. Go ahead. It
3: wasn't definitely... Did
0: you want to say something? Yeah.
7: I would just like to say that uh, for some of a
0: visitor. Welcome.
7: And the most the largest trap we have we're a new creatures. we have the spirit of God living in us we are now have an opportunity to follow the dictates of the Holy Spirit well Daniel Abraham had prior experiences before God gave them a command to do something that uh, that when God told Abraham to take his son and offer him he had a had, he had an experience of knowing that God could bring life out of death.
5: Yeah. But there was
7: already, boom was dead. Yeah. Daniel came out of Babylonian, come through Israel. They wiped out thousands and thousands. Sure. Uh, he had an experience to see the, the sovereignty of God in his life, and that's a track record.
2: Mm-hmm. I
7: mean, every one of us got some kind of track record of what God's done in our lives. And I don't. And once you get that, and you realize is sovereign, and he can do all things. He's in total control. You should just rest in that. Yeah. Even Daniel was a young boy. He had that experience. And I think God takes us through experiences to bring us to a point where we can trust him.
0: Yeah, definitely. And, you know, the, the question is not so much has he, but do we? Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's, all of us have, like you say, uh, at least the experience of salvation and the miracle working of God in our lives, the question is, does that lead us into deeper trust of him? Do we do... Are we, are we, are we more trusting today than we were a year ago today? Sometimes. Go ahead, uh,
1: I think somebody commented a while, uh, maybe it was you that... Uh, Every now and then. Uh, that, <laughs> that was a different culture back then. Yeah, it was. But shouldn't our faith start determining what our culture
0: is? Sure, sure. Uh, it, uh,
1: how God had blessed us and we're grateful for our, our former generation
0: right. that helped us
1: along but so we should be increasing in wisdom and stature in every coming generation
0: Yeah. And,
1: uh, so we as parents and grandparents should be establishing uh, uh, a generation that's more responsible than we were
0: yeah and, and in some ways we are but not so much in spiritual ways and because we lose perspective. I mean, quite frankly, we do. And um, But you're right. That their, their heritage should be richer than ours was. Because many of us came out of families that were broken or where the parents weren't believers. And so that should not be true of our children. Right? Now, all of that, all of that, all of that under the sovereignty of God. Because you're a good parent and because you're a believer in Christ doesn't mean your children are going to be. That, you know, but that's the American way, right? That's the the pop religious way that, um, you know, and that's why you see very, very young children being baptized, but we don't do that. Why not? Because they need to be able to articulate a true faith, not just an emotional experience. And so that's why you see us slowing down in some of those things. Um, So... Just because you're, you're a true believer and just because you raise your children right, just because you teach them the scriptures, none of that guarantees their salvation. You understand that, right? That's all in the control of God. He's, he's the author of all of that. Now, you pray to him, you plead, you call your children to Christ, absolutely. But it's God who orchestrates that, not us. And, and that's not the way that we think. That's not pleasing to our thoughts, but that's the truth. God, I mean, and Daniel understands that. He understands that God is sovereign over anything that happens in his life. That's why he says that God establishes kings and takes them down. He, he can he can do whatever he well pleases, and he does. Go ahead.
4: I think that that's why well, you see a fruit in Daniel's life. That, I mean, you can infer from the Scripture that Daniel has peace with the situation. Mm-hmm. And I think until we get to that situation, we're not going to have peace. Like, especially as, as parents raising children. You know, we want to, we want them to be saved. But until we come to the peace that we realize that God is completely the author of their salvation too. and That it's nothing that we do. You know, I mean.
0: That's a hard thought. That's a hard thing to think about. But you, there's nothing you can do to get your children across the finish line. To get their ticket punched to heaven. Right? This is the lingo, right? You, you cannot do that. God must do that. God bursts the new creation, not us.
3: yet we're commanded to teach them. Oh, absolutely.
0: Absolutely. You be faithful.
3: um, Is that
0: what you wanted to say?
3: Yeah, we do have a responsibility.
0: Huge. Huge.
3: Do we pay more attention to getting them to soccer practice, or do we pay more attention to getting them to youth, devotional, family devotional? Right. Them to read and get the grades to get into college, I do. We want them to read so they can understand God's word. And So, what's our what's our focus,
0: right? but well, we know what the focus of the culture is, right?
3: Oh, it's up to God, it's up to God. But when you talk to missionaries,
0: yeah, to
3: like, oh, God, like God. when you talk to missionaries, when they're going to go out to the country, they are like so sold out. I will sacrifice my family, like right, my livelihood. Everything, because I want to see souls say Their mindset, it makes you want to get a jam sport and join them on <laughs>
0: yeah.
3: the But parents are like, oh, well, yeah, it's, it's only up to God. But well, we still have a responsibility.
0: Yeah, huge. Why, you like, how do you
3: really, like, with children, not teenagers, but like with children, mm-hmm. um, King Josiah was eight years old, and he was a man that got God, um, David was a boy when he was I mean, all these
0: children were gone. Right. They were. They were. And, and and we do have that responsibility right now. So we don't leave Daniel in the middle of his prayer up all night. We'll finish verse 23. Look at, I, I want you to catch what he says. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise. And then he thanks him for giving him the specific dream. But that phrase... To you, O God of my fathers. What does that tell you about Daniel? This is very significant for Daniel. All very well, and he, he remembers the patriarchs. He remembers God's faithfulness. And compared to all those friends of his who've forgotten that because they've been indoctrinated and brainwashed for three years, Daniel still stays true to his heritage. He still st- tra- stays true to the God of Israel. He remembers those things. These other guys, they're done. They don't remember any of that. They've been indoctrinated for three years. They've been brainwashed into the Babylonian way of thinking. They're, they're done. But not Daniel and his three friends. Because they stayed faithful to God. They stayed true. and they didn't defile themselves. They, although they got the same teaching, they held to their former religion not and beliefs to their theology. You see that of Daniel here and not to the culture in which they were embedded. So it's very significant for Daniel that he says, to the God of my fathers, he remembers all that he has been taught. He's, he's to the true God. Go ahead. And that's the old principle
1: in Proverbs 6, that we, in the modern age, we want to prostitute every way we can when it says, train them up in the way they should
0: go. Right. right. No, not at all. Of the work of God right. that will be but that our responsibility is to train them into
1: the truth right. so that when God does open their hearts
0: they'll be like that. Yeah, so the deep truths that you learn at this church not because I'm teaching but because God directs our minds into his scripture those are the things you need to be sharing with your children. I can tell you the children that grow up in this church, the great Privilege they have to grow up in this church. Their theology is so far beyond where mine was when I was 17, 18 years old. It astounds me because they've been trained for years in, in the truth, and their thinking is already there. We don't have to mold their thinking. But you and I didn't necessarily come out of that culture, right? Didn't necessarily grow up in a church that taught the truth. Um, was more about the culture than about the truth, and so. You know, we need to recognize that and the value of that in the life of a of a young person, and and you know that's why when they come on a Wednesday night or a Thursday night here, it's not all fun and games. It is some fun and games, but there's always always deep truth taught, because they need that.
1: Also, that truth can overcome anything that the world has or Satan can throw at it. That's right.
0: That's what's really important. And it does, it does. Go ahead. statement.
5: I mean, it's one of my favorite passages, particularly coming out of, you know, Roman Catholicism. But really, false religions are really a manifestation of what Paul is just so beautifully saying here. And it's in the context of how we evangelize our children and our loved ones. But brothers, my heart's desire, Romans 10, and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved right? So they're right there, I mean, that's the same heart we're all talking about. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And what is that knowledge he's talking about? For being ignorant of the righteousness of God, they're seeking to establish their own. And that, that right there is...
0: That's, that's the world. Right? That that's what it. the world tries to do. That
5: all our loved ones are pulled into, right? So that you just continue... Uh,
0: yeah, and Paul writing about the same people that Daniel is talking about. Daniel
5: did not, that our Lord wept for yeah. as they were taking him to the cross.
0: Yeah. yeah. So, you see the theology of Daniel? I told you it was all over this prayer. I mean, Daniel just reveals so much of his thinking and his beliefs as he prays to God, and we get the privilege to eavesdrop. Now, he will continue in this same thought when he goes before Nebuchadnezzar. He doesn't change because he's then in the presence of a king. He says the same things, has the same beliefs, and speaks it to the king. I mean, in clarity, Nebuchadnezzar knows what Daniel is saying because at the end he acknowledges it. So we'll start walking through what the vision was and what it means. And I promise you, when we get to the end of this vision, you'll have to make a decision about what the vision means and what Daniel's saying that will direct your eschatology. will. That's what, I mean, we'll get there and we'll talk about it, okay? Thanks for your time.